Welcome to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with my co-host and creator of the show, Tom Joker. Thank you, Christopher. Today's show is an epic interview from an epic artist. What we've got today is one of the best interviews you'll ever hear. Marilyn Dennis, who's always great, in conversation with Beyonce, who's also always great. It covers a lot of ground from her upbringing to her artistry to her relationship with Jay-Z. A lot of ground to cover today. Also coming up on this episode, some more cool song facts. Let's get started now with Beyonce. That is a great song. Maybe one of the best songs of the century so far from 2003, Crazy in Love by Beyonce. That comes flying out of the radio when you hear that. And that beginning and everything about it and the video for it, that it was groundbreaking at the time. I like single ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, where do you start with Beyonce Knowles? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's start with a remarkable accolade from Jody Rosen. Jody Rosen writes about pop culture for The New Yorker magazine. Quote, Beyonce is the most important and compelling pop musician of the 21st century, the result of a century plus of pop. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Is that hyperbole? I guess it depends on the listener. But and not very many people get those kind of comments made about them yeah, in I print. Think, I think those of us who are kind of from the old school will always – you can either dismiss a comment like that out of hand or you can step back and maybe investigate a little bit. And for anybody who has any real doubt about Beyonce's importance as an artist, I would really pick up or just stream the Lemonade album. It is so good. It is so diverse. Mm. She covers so many genres of music from hip-hop to hard rock with a song um, that she does with Jack White. She does almost like a country song on it. And it just, there's so much talent there. And her choice, her taste is impeccable. Mm -hmm. Now, she does have a great team working with her. But I believe that the artistic vision is hers and hers alone. And so I do believe, I think she is one of the great artists of all time. I don't think if you give her a fair chance that you can dispute that. Well, for me, that comment from Jody Rosen of The New Yorker is akin to the I have seen the future of rock and roll. <laughs> it's it's kind of in that league. Beyonce launched her career in 1997 with Destiny's Child with a song on the soundtrack of the film Men in Black. 100 million solo album sales and another 60 million with the group say yes, mm-hmm. it has been. And those six solo albums set a new standard as every one of them debuted at number one on Billboard. And by the way, let's toss in 23 Grammy Awards to oh, yeah. go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Beyonce, as I think you were suggesting, projects power, artistic courage, and the image of a woman in complete creative control in, let's face it, a male dominated industry. Her heroes are probably no surprise, and and they they come in for different reasons. But Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, who she mentions in the interview, you'll see, you'll hear, Mm -hmm. Tina Turner, and Whitney Houston. You know who she lists as her inspiration? Who? Michelle Obama. Oh, yeah. I wonder when her album came out. (laughs) But let's face it, Tom. Her real break came as Foxy Cleopatra in Austin Powers' Gold Member. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Marilyn Dennis does a wonderful job interviewing Beyonce. They sound like old pals. She sure does. They cover a wide range of topics, starting with jogging and singing at the same time. 
I was laughing because she just did a wonderful interview on Much Music, and then she had to run from Much Music down the halls at City TV <laughs> and sit here to be with us. And we're all happy to have you, that's for sure. Thank but it you. reminded me of the, the story about your dad making you run a mile in the morning and sing while you're running to get you into shape. Yeah, definitely. I know, you know, we started out Destiny's Child when we were nine years old. And we used to go jogging and we used to have voice lessons and watch tapes of, you know, all the legends and um we danced and, and sang at the same time. And my dad was like the, the drill sergeant. <laughs> and we would harmonize and um, and run. And I think, you know, it kind of started my my endurance because I, I'm able to sing and dance at the same time when I'm in shape because I have to get back in shape. I was doing a movie and for six months and an album, so now I'm having a harder time. But yeah. um, I think, you know, that was great for us to be so young and already starting to, to kind of work those well, muscles. Yeah, it's a workout on the stage, especially you. Yeah, it's definitely You with the heels on going back and forth on the stage <laughs> in the short dress. It's amazing. Dream Thank Girls you. is that uh, project you were talking about. Yeah. So excited about that. Beyond excited. Yeah. Now, let's talk about this movie that's coming out in December. Yes, it comes out in December, and it was the role of my life. Um, I know there are certain things that are just, there's something in the air, and you know. I knew while I was doing it that I needed to appreciate the moments. Because usually when you're going through things, they just kind of go by. Then you look back years later and you're like, wow, that was amazing. I could feel it then. That's how spectacular the the vibe was. Um, So I I kept my little video diary and I taped every little thing. And um, it was really a learning experience for me. I grew a lot. And um, I feel like now I can call myself an actor for the first time even though I've been involved in really amazing movies with great actors and great comedians I never really had to work my muscle as an actor and this time I did and it was hard it was challenging it was great and it was scary and it it felt like it used to feel when when we first started Mm -hmm. when I was nine and I was trying to get a deal but you you say if you're not scared then it's then I'm really scared. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's what that's what that's. So this this uh, Dream Girls, of course, being a big hit on Broadway, loosely based on the Supremes, mm-hmm. and you played the Diana Ross role, Dina. Uh, and I know you've met Diana Ross, and she is the most lovely, sweet, talented, beautiful woman. I actually met her while I was filming. Again, I I had met her a couple times, but I I saw her again. And because I was looking at so many of her pictures and performances, it was almost like she wasn't real. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw her sitting next to me, and I was terrified to turn around and speak. And (laughs) She's there. Yeah, it was like, (laughs) oh, my God. I just saw her hair. (laughs) 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 And she... She turned around and I guess she knew that I didn't I was nervous and which was really sweet and she said hi and she 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 said that she was happy I was doing the movie and um it's obviously not based on her but she was my inspiration right right and um and she's known for years this thing has been around for a long time it has been around and for a they've long always time. said it's loosely based on the supreme story and yes. you being the lead role and interesting you know because you've got Jamie Fox Eddie Murphy Danny Glover. Danny Glover's in this movie, yes. and and you you're it. Well, no, I it's mean, an ensemble know, cast. I know, it, but it, but still, you're it. 
That's fine about those other guys, but you're it. That was big news when they when when they announced that they, you got the lead role. Well, you know, it's, it's about the girls, and it's about you know the the all the ups and downs that come along with fame and all the prices you have to pay. And um, you know, it was set in the '60s, so there was a lot of racism and payola and mm-hmm. a lot of cutthroat things that that went on. Um, and it was a learning experience for me, you know, and it was the, it was amazing being able to walk down the streets and see the Cadillacs and see, you know, they built a, a car wash and it, it felt like that whole street. They just turned it into 1960. And it was amazing for me to be, you know, a young woman of this era to, yeah. to go back in the time and to wear those wigs. And just even the mannerisms of the women back then were slightly different. And they were, you know, so polished and elegant. And, mm-hmm. and oh, well, they mysterious. were trained to be that way, too. They were trained to they, be that they, way. They worked as hard as you did in the backyard in uh, Texas. Yes, they did. Working on those routines. Yeah. You know? But it was fascinating to watch all those tapes and see how times have changed so much. Interesting, too, because we're going to go talk to Danielle from C100 in Halifax and just a second i can hear her breathing heavily on the other line <laughs> but interesting that you know you you're there for six months doing this movie which is kind of restful for you you're not moving from it was place definitely to place restful and during all this time you're you're you from what i understand are conjuring up some music thinking if, if only this woman could really say what was on her mind yes and this is a lot based on what's on B-Day. Yes. The album um, was inspired a lot by doing this movie. It doesn't sound anything like the soundtrack of Dream Girls, or it doesn't sound anything like the character Dina. But it does sound like a woman that's kind of that's been in this relationship with a man that has not been faithful and that's been controlling and a woman that needs to break away, which is not my life. But it was Dina's life, and I was Dina for six months. So I think it was my release, and most actors when they do a, a movie they it takes them a second to get out of that head you know and it took me a second I was going to games with like full beat lashes and you know I'm like <laughs> I'm just going to a game <laughs> but was, because I was I did that every day yeah, for six months sure. and I was so in, into this character you know I needed to get to scream I needed to, to sing really strong and soulful because a lot of the songs um, back then were pop records and they were sugar coated yeah. and I, I needed to to be more passionate and, and kind of shout out shout Empowered. out a lot of things and be strong yeah. and that's why the record is a lot stronger than, than I am and it's, it's everything that I think women at one point of time need to hear and have been through and can relate to yeah. oh my god like Christopher, you are a terrific interviewer. Thank you. Um, I do my best to, you know, with a certain uh, degree of success. Marilyn Dennis, in this interview, is one of the, this is one of the best mm-hmm. and most relaxed interviews I've ever heard. And I've, I've worked with Marilyn for more than 30 years myself on a day-to-day, morning-to-morning basis. So I know what she's capable of. But when we roll back some of these old interviews, especially ones that she's done, she is masterful at this. Yeah, she is. She it's is. really good. And she makes it sound so effortless. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so let's listen to part two of the interview with Marilyn Dennis and Beyonce. And right now they're talking about um, a report in People magazine about her and Jay-Z, who weren't really out in public by that point. They were, they were a known couple, but they didn't become visible a lot at that point. So here's Marilyn talking about that. How crazy in love Beyonce and Jay-Z looked 
as the usually private couple let their guard down. You know, up in Canada, it's Jay Z. You know that. Is it Jay Z? It's not Jay Z. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know that. But so, uh, you know, so I, I hear through the grapevine, the 1959 Rolls Royce convertible worth about one million dollars. Uh, was that one of the presents given to you? Um, I was give, I was given some great gifts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I returned my gift to winners. Because <laughs> after I read that, I thought I'm not giving her anything. I'm not going to do it. What was a, besides the number one CD? You know, like what do you get, Beyonce? Like what was your favorite thing? I'm sure you say having my friends and family around. I know that. You know what? This is, I know. That. This is this is might sound cheesy, but it's it's the truth. I had a toast, and. Um, you know, those toasts are really embarrassing because everyone's standing up and looking you, looking at you and telling you all these things. And though it was very embarrassing, it was really memorable for me because a lot of people said things that I didn't think about. And I didn't even know that's how people looked at me. I didn't know that's what they thought. And it just, it made, it was, I was bawling. I was almost like, like, <laughs> Like, oh, that kind of balling. Yeah, really balling. Oh. It, was, it was the best gift. It was so beautiful. You know who your friends are? Yes. Yes, you do. Yes. We got a friend of yours, Sarah, from Thornhill. Hello, Sarah. What's your question for Beyonce, Sarah? Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering if you have stage fright, Beyonce. If so, how do you fight it? I definitely do. Um, I think that's why I created Sasha. Who is tell, my, tell us about Sasha. She's my alter ego, and... Um, I, I literally have to tell myself, I'm Sasha, I'm Sasha, I'm Sasha, I'm fierce, I'm fierce, I'm fi-. And then something, like, happens to me. <laughs> I kind of felt it just now. <laughs> well, you know, after seeing the fan and the, the little the, the little dress that you had on and the thing that you did with your hand like this, which I can't show on the radio, <laughs> you are Sasha. But you have to kind of go into that. Absolutely. Mode, huh? Yes. You see, when I see you on stage, I think there's Tina, there's Tina, there's Tina. It's Tina, Tina Turner. The well, way that you move and the way that you do your thing and... She's definitely been an inspiration for me. I got to perform for her. Yeah. And imagine someone you love that much sitting right there and you're doing their song. I was so scared and I wanted to make her proud and I wanted her to be happy. And um, I, I, my mic, of course, which they didn't show that on television because mm-hmm. I was able to do it again, but it completely cut out. Uh oh. And, um, and the president was there and like everyone's there and I'm singing my heart out and no one can hear anything <laughs> but it, it eventually came back on and it just made me perform harder and she she waited until after the show it was like an hour left and um, I did it again after everyone left and she waited all that time to come down wow. and tell me that watching me was like was watching a watching herself when she was like 25 years ago and, what a compliment I, it was amazing when you I thought Sarah's question was great too I think we go back to that comment if you're not scared I'm scared you're scared <laughs> and that just brings the performance level even higher yeah I mean if I'm too comfortable then I have no reason to do that and it's kind of like I don't I don't click over to that other person I mean I still I, there are so, certain performances where 
I can tell when I was nervous and I, I had to let something else take over me and I just was lost in the moment. And then there's certain performances where you can tell that fierce but usually that that happens um i think great performers it happens all the time Mm -hmm. and you know i'm a perfectionist but i think you know like whenever you see tina turner it doesn't matter if she's tired it doesn't matter if she's nervous what you will never know because she's just she was born to do what she does and you can always tell like michael jackson they are born to do what they they do when does sasha leave your body like um like, usually at when people give me applause i get really embarrassed <laughs> and and i mean it's different when it's during the show but towards the end mm-hmm. i i kind of come back to myself and and then um you know by the time i get to the dressing room and i take my stilettos off i'm i'm back to being me <laughs> you don't ask was that good was that a good performance do you ask that? sometimes yeah do you? I, I don't do it on tour yeah i do like maybe the first couple of weeks when i'm trying to figure out the show yeah and then you feel confident. and then i feel more yeah. comfortable but when i do television shows always every single time well sasha was very very present when you when you did uh when sasha was with prince oh sasha was present <laughs> wow <laughs> sasha was very present there that was Fantastic! That was the best part of that show. Priya's over there wanting to ask you a question, Beyonce. Hello. Hi, Beyonce. Um, first, I think I speak for everyone here. You look more beautiful in person Thank than you. you do in pictures. <laughs> I was wondering, I work with children, teaching them how to speak confidently. You are obviously a master of communication. How do you use your star power to help kids, or what causes are you passionate about? There are so many causes that you know myself and Destiny's Child have been a part of. Um, one, you know, World Children's Day, we visited all around the world um, and visited a lot of children with cancer, and, and it was so great to do everyday things like painting and just giving them everyday conversations gave them so so much confidence um and also of course aids i've been a big part of with with africa um south africa with bono 46664 and also um i have been involved with katrina in a lot of the the victims from katrina it's been amazing you know with my church i've been i i have a nose and rolling foundation and a lot of children go there and play basketball and play sports and I actually have studios um there for them to to write raps and and sing songs because I think music is has saved my life and has given me purpose and I know that it it gave me a focus so I didn't have to go and you know party and go to all the clubs and drink and and do some of the things that I've seen a lot of young teenagers do um it, it gave me something to look forward to. It gave me drive. And I think, you know, also Save the Music, I've been a, a big um, supporter of. And, um, you know, it's, it's really important. People like Bono that are celebrities but use their celebrity for positive things, that's, that's, he's an inspiration for me. And I know the older I get, um, the more I will be more vocal about the things that, you know, that I'm a part of because usually I, Destiny's Child, we don't really 
talk about it too much because we try to do it for the right reasons. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic with Christopher Ward. This is a 2006 interview with Beyonce in conversation with Marilyn Dennis. Let's continue now with a question for Beyonce from a young listener. Okay, Danielle, good for you waiting for us on the phone, C100 Halifax. Question for Beyonce, go ahead. Hi, Beyonce. I was just wondering who was your greatest inspiration to become a star? Good question, Danielle. Danielle, you sound so beautiful. Yeah. Definitely um, my mother, um, Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, um, Donnie Hathaway, a lot of old school artists because I grew up in my mother's hair salon and that's who she played. Um, and, you know, that's who I loved and that's who I sang and, and danced to. That's a really good question. And the, the other question along those lines is that when you had the engineers on this CD go out and buy Marvin Gaye and Michael Jackson yep. and, and I can't remember the other, other two. Um, and Gladys that was, Knight and yeah. um, Aretha, all of the, the old soul. What did you want them? You wanted them to hear the way that... The, I wanted their spirits in the studio. I ah. wanted them. I wanted them to be... In my subconscious, I wanted, I didn't want to hear their music because I didn't want to rewrite their records. And when you do that, that's usually what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just wanted them to be present. <laughs> and, and they were in the back of my mind because I recorded just like this in a room, not in a studio booth, in a room with the engineer, with the other writers, with a carpet similar to this and a mic in front of me you're kidding and that's how I recorded my album like we would talk girl why did he do that ooh what did he do ooh that's a great lyric and then I go and put it in the song <laughs> and that's how I recorded this album it was very relaxed and because they were just demos I didn't know I was gonna actually put this album out it, it was so raw and I'm a perfectionist and I usually go back and change things and make the vocals perfect and I didn't want to do that. So that's why it took a short amount of time because I was experimenting and I didn't worry about it being polished and, you know. But you you had a choice of take a vacation or do a CD. Well, my Uh, vacation... Two two and a half weeks. (laughs) Vacation, do a CD. Vacation, just finished a movie. My vacation was doing the CD. Yeah. I tried to, I thought my vacation would be the sun and, and the ocean, but mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't giving me a release. I wasn't relaxing. I had too many things inside of me to relax. So that's why I snuck away. If I would have told the label and if I would have told management, then it would have been work. But because I just went on my own time, it was fun and it was my vacation. So you paid for it, booked it, did the whole thing. Nobody knew. Nobody for knew. Those that no, worked on I think it. I think my dad did know. Well, I was going to say, how did your father not know? Well, I like to believe that he didn't, but I think he did. <laughs> um, but it didn't matter because the whole point was yeah. for them to give me my space. That's so, good. as long as as he didn't ex- he didn't know that I would do it. He he knew. I think he heard I was in the studio because I didn't tell the producers. Don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, because it wasn't a secret. It just I just didn't want any. I didn't want any deadlines, and I didn't want to to be in the studio thinking, okay, I have mm-hmm. this amount of time to write this record, and I, I'm stressing, and it, that just blocks your creativity. Let's go back to dangerously in love. Dangerously in love. And seriously, this song came on the radio, and it just burst out. It's it, the song is called Crazy in Love. I don't know if you've heard it or not. <laughs> 
And a little bit of background on that one. Um, Crazy in Love was, I think, one of the best records I've done. Um, it, I'm so grateful for the record because my life changed in a way after the, after that record came out and that video came out. Um, places that I couldn't normally go, I couldn't go anymore. <laughs> there goes your anonymity. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it it was a record that just started out because I was dressed really badly because I was in the studio and I looked crazy and I said, I'm looking crazy right now. And the Rich Harrison was like, oh, that's chorus. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's making me nervous. Be careful what you say tonight. <laughs> to turn into a song. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, it, it just was kind of just my breakout song. And still to this day, I perform it. And no matter how many times I've performed it, I look in the audience and men, children, women, kids, older women, everyone's doing the uh-oh dance. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. There you go. Marilyn Dennis in conversation with Beyonce from 2006 upon the release of her album B-Day. Now, that album included the song Irreplaceable. And I do know that that song was a little bit of a breakthrough for her mm -hmm. because she sang it on a much more emotional level than perhaps some of the Destiny's Child song like uh, Say My Name or Survivor or even um, uh, some of her earlier solo work like Crazy in Love. So there was something about it that was more emotional and she got that emotion from working on Dreamgirls. And right. perhaps she got some of that emotion by working with Jennifer Hudson and what she threw into that role. Like that was an astonishing performance uh -huh. in itself. So um, I love her reverence for Miss Ross as that's well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and she tells the Diana Ross story there, doesn't she, Christopher? Mm. In which, what is you, you relate the story because you, you you remember it well because it relates uh, to you. I think just that they were at maybe at a screening and Diana was sitting behind her and and she looked around. And it was kind of like. <gasps> There's the Ross hair, and I had a similar experience, so I understood that. Yeah, so you had a similar experience because you were writing with Diana, and you were helping her, if I'm not mistaken, put her like stereo equipment together or making her stereo work. You want me to tell you? Sure. Well, I was asked if I wanted to write with Diana Ross, and of course, the answer to that question is always <laughs> yes. When do I start? And they said, well, we want you to go to her house this afternoon. It's like, oh. So I got my thing together and brought a couple of songs for her to hear. And I got there. And she, the place was totally casual. I thought there'd be just this, you know, incredible army of handlers and yeah. security people. No, there was nobody. There was a gardener there. And he let me in. And then she calls me upstairs. And she's wearing a track suit. So it was, it was very cash. We had a great conversation with her. We talked about what we would do in writing music together. And then she said, have you got anything to play for me? And I said, yeah, I brought something. She says, oh, great. She says, I just got a new stereo. Well, that was, at the end of the room, an entire wall of equipment. Oh. And she says, I don't really know how to use it yet. And I went, uh-oh. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not a tech head. Right. And then I got there, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what do I do? And I'm, so I'm pushing every single button I can find. I just pop in the CD. It was a CD I played in those days. And, the, you know, it's, I know it's spinning, but it's not coming out of the speakers. And I'm just starting to get desperate when I, she comes over. And I'm on the floor at this point on my knees. She kneels down beside me. And she's going, well, maybe if we... And starts pushing buttons along with me. And the Ross Dew is just <laughs> pressed 
into the side of my head. <laughs> and I had one of those out-of-body experiences, those, okay, I'm on my knees. I'm at Diana Ross's place. I'm trying to get her stereo to work. Stop thinking about this and just make it happen. <laughs> so that is that's a, my Ross story. For that you. is a surreal experience for sure. Yeah, it was. That's great. And she was so gracious too. You know, people people say things about what a diva she is, and that yeah. may be true, but she was great. And how long did you work for, like with her? Uh, well, we wrote five songs together. Uh-huh. Uh, two of them ended up getting recorded and released. Um, the one that came out of that session was a song called Hope is an Open Window. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so how, uh, so how many hours did you spend with her in total, would you say? Well, we would. the way we wrote was we would get together and she would t- tell me what her ideas were and subject matter, what she wanted the songs to be about. And then we'd go back and forth on that and I would take notes. And each of those get-togethers would be, you know, maybe an hour and a half or so. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, that's But great. she would, you know, happily wander off into other topics of conversation as well, which was great. Okay, so tell me some other, some other great songwriting moments that you've had. Tell us about some of the other artists that you've worked with. <laughs> oh, I'm on the spot here because I haven't thought about I this. Sure, I sure did put you on the spot. Um, well, some of the moments are not necessarily with people that are the best known. Okay. I mean, I've had some well-known people record my songs, like uh, Winona Judd cut one. And, okay. I mean, what an amazing singer she is. Yes. I mean, just having somebody like that record your song is thrilling. Yes. Peter Cetera did a fantastic job on one of my tunes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. But, but did in you terms work of, with him at all, or did he no, just cover No, again, it? they just covered yeah. this song. But you know who working directly with the most, maybe one of the most amazing experiences was with Amanda Marshall. Right. And she did two songs on her first album that I wrote. Beautiful Goodbye. Yeah, Beautiful Goodbye, which I wrote with Dave Tyson. And in fact, the the recording of that was just mind blowing to me because, you know, she had picked through our songs and said, "I want to try this one, this one," and she went home and learned them, and then yes. came back the next day to the studio, and so you know, Dave puts up the track for "Beautiful Goodbye," and she starts singing it, and I'm sitting beside her, just in little you know side by side chairs, and I look over at Dave and I mouth the words, "Are you recording?" <laughs> and he goes, "Hmm." <laughs> And because she did one run through just to show us that she had a handle on the song, and most of that is the vocal on the record. Yes. Very, very talented person. A person whose career should have lasted longer than it did. Well, there's still time. That's true. And she is gifted. Okay, I know we're kind of jumping all over the place right now, Christopher, but... <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. And I, you know, we just heard a great interview with Marilyn Dennis and Beyonce. And I've heard Marilyn do a number of phenomenal interviews, and some of them we're going to get to them in the next few weeks. Um, she did a great one with um, Stevie Nicks. Like, Christopher, the interview was so good that Stevie and her have been friends ever since. Wow. That's how you know you've connected with someone. I'll say. So... Whenever Stevie would play in Toronto, she would always dedicate dreams to Marilyn. Oh. Like, that's, that's, you know you've made an impression when. That is cool. Now, but what about your favorite, who are some of your favorite interviewers? Maybe a little obscure, but I, uh, to some listeners, I, I loved Barbara Frum. Right. From the CBC, mm-hmm. the late Barbara Frum. Yeah, she was terrific. Uh-huh. Was it As It Happens? Was that the name of the show she was well, on? Well, there, there's a radio show called As It Happens. That's I where I heard her, was yes. on the radio show. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, there was just something deeply human about the connection that she made with her subjects. And she was very challenging at the same time. Um, and you know who I love for totally different reasons is Dick Cavett. Really? Okay. Yeah. He, he has this sort of intellectual rambling style, but he creates an atmosphere in which people feel comfortable to just go anywhere in the course of the interview. And, and, and that was one of the reasons I loved him. How about you? Um, I really like, um, well, my favorite, and I've talked about him a couple times before, my favorite podcaster, and it's because he's such a great interviewer, is Mark Maron. Oh, right. And the, the, the podcast is called WTF with mm-hmm. Mark Maron. And he's interviewed, you know, Bruce Springsteen and Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, and he's interviewed some newer artists as well, but he also has interviewed some of the biggest names of all time in the movie world, right? Oh, one of the best interviews with Joe Walsh I've ever heard was with him. So I really like him. I also really like Terry Gross from NPR, National Public Radio. Oh, she is a master. And she's a legend, and of course you can hear uh, some of the uh, interviews that she's done over the years on a podcast uh, for her show. So those are two of my favorite interviewers for sure. You're listening to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with my co-host, Mr. Tom Jokic. And Tom digs deep. Yes, so Christopher, <laughs> I have a whole bunch of cool song facts for you today. Starting with yes. the late George Harrison. Mm-hmm. The late Beatle, George Harrison. So in 2004, Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, planted a pine tree in memory of George. Ten years later, that tree died. From an infestation of what? Can you guess, Christopher? Oh, I don't want it to be where I think it is. An infestation of beetles. <laughs> <laughs> Did they plant it on Blue Jay Way? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, next cool song fact. Elvis Presley. So, investors would like to move his Graceland home <laughs> overseas. I don't think so. Now, now there's a reason for this. Apparently... The um, visitors, the amount of tourism that Graceland is attracting is dropping. And so the management of Graceland has been receiving offers to move the estate to Japan, China, or the Middle East with the idea that Graceland could make more money elsewhere. Now, that's that may be true, but right now in the United States, after only the White House, Graceland is said to be the most visited private home in the USA. That will never happen. They'll I'm never gonna, move it? They'll never move it. The <clears throat> city of Memphis would be up in arms. Right. Rightfully but, so. Well, no, rightfully so, but they might not have a choice. If the Elvis Presley estate says, they've just offered us $25 million, we're making $2 million a year here, that's a lot of money, would they move it? Just asking. People would be upset, but they'd, the Elvis Presley estate would still be Why making a lot of money. Why don't they just build a replica like they do in Vegas? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Cool song facts. Katy Perry's dad used to sell acid. LSD? As in LSD. And her oh, mom dated Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> oh, God. Now, they turned their lives around, apparently, because both are now Pentecostal pastors. Of course they are. <laughs> Tom, this is already really good. <laughs> you know, and I do remember, thank you, when Katie came out with the song, I Kissed a Girl, mm. they were they they had some issues with that song. The parents did. <laughs> so they really changed, right, in the time from, you know, the Jimi Hendrix and LSD days to, uh, to when Katie started having hits. But apparently, they're really tight with Katie these days. People across the nation are going, where does he get this stuff? <laughs> yeah, well... 
I make some of it up. You just have to guess which ones. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. So, never mind. The big album from Nirvana, 1991, I think, right? So they're ready to release that album, and they're all invited. All three guys from Nirvana are invited to the record release party, okay? Of course, you have the band there. I've, I'm sure you've been to a bunch of those. Mm -hmm. All three members of Nirvana were kicked out of the release party for their own album, Nevermind, for starting a food fight. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's excellent. That's excellent. That's have really you been good. to very many album release parties? Yeah, I've been to a few over the years. Yeah. Anything that stands out? Anyone that were, where you went, oh, this is really good or this is really bad? No, they're mostly, you, you think they're going to be cool and they're, and they're usually boring. Yeah. It's a bunch of people standing around eating free food or throwing it at other people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the Alanis interview that we just ran, mm -hmm. um, when I got to preview that album, I believe that I was brought to... Um, the record company studios and put in a small room and listened to it that way and was not allowed to leave with a copy of it or anything. It was really strictly embargoed. Have you ever had a, have you ever had to, you know, endure that kind of secrecy for an album release? No, nobody cared what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the Bee Gees first released the album Spirits Having Flown, that was in 1979. That's the one with Tragedy! That song, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> not not one of their highlights. But anyway, that was a big album because it was following up Saturday Night Fever. Right. Well, we at this radio station got a hold of it um, in advance from some record company guy in the States. And we played every cut all weekend. And then the record company uh, president here called up the president of our radio station oh, here oh, no. and said, you guys take it off or you will never be able to play any of our songs from our record company ever again. They were so mad. What a little so, hissy fit that so was. The record, so the radio station chairman calls the person on the air and says, you're taking that off the air right now. Wow. Isn't that something? That's, I love that story. Oh, man, get a grip, people. <laughs> it's just people, music. Right. People do take themselves very seriously yeah. at times, and it's often executives and PR people that do that because they know, think they, they're sticking up for the artist. They're sticking up for the record company. Let's right. call it Let's call it like it is here. <laughs> I, you know, Speaking of Alanis, I saw her do a little show just when that record came out in a little club in Hollywood, and she was breathtakingly really? great she was unbelievable i mean she just stormed that stage in that room there was there was just no denying the power of the moment that's amazing okay more cool song facts freddie mercury wrote crazy little thing called love in a hotel bathtub when he felt inspired he had the piano brought to his tub so he could compose <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> how do you write a rockabilly song on Piano? On piano. Other thing. Sorry. Well, there's that sort of um, Huey Smith style, you know, rolling piano feel. Right. Those okay. Mostly I think of it as a guitar type of feel. Okay. Alice Cooper, who we heard from just a few weeks ago with some great interview clips from him. Mm -hmm. He wants babysat Keanu Reeves. Oh, that's just weird. <laughs> I know. And I just wonder sort of where Alice was in his life and career at the time. I mean, if he was full-blown Alice Cooper, I would worry. That's funny because Keanu grew up, spent a lot of time growing up in Toronto. Yeah. So that is interesting. I wonder where Alice looked after him. Now, speaking of babysitters, Cher once babysat 
Anthony Kiedis of Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, that's just not true. You I know, made that one up. I did not make it up. And here's the thing. There's a few moments in his book <laughs> called Scar Tissue, which is excellent. Have you read that? No. Sc- oh, okay. Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis is a great book. And he describes what Cher was like as a babysitter. And she may have been... Like, there were just too many times when Cher was just in the other room getting changed, but she left the door open kind of thing. Oh. Like, just one of those moments. Yeah. There's a few of those. So, there you go. There's a cool song fact about Cher. Okay. One more. Mick Jagger, this is not going to surprise you, but it's still going to shock you a little bit, has a great granddaughter who is (laughs) older than his youngest son. (laughs) Oh, no. Isn't that icky? Oh, God, that little wrinkly's been busy through the years, hasn't he? <laughs> Are we talking about Mick? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> oh, double yuck. <laughs> there we go. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Okay, bye. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Famous Lost Words. Thanks to our technical producer, Adam Karsh. Thank you, sir. And our executive producer, Rob Farina. Also, thanks to the gang at Orbit Media, including Rob Basile, for their help in getting our show to as many ears as possible. Now, you can help simply by listening to past episodes on the iHeartRadio app. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook, too. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Talk to you next time on another edition of Famous Lost Words.